0: Today, we are talking about the villains in Star Trek Discovery.
1: (laughs) Woo-woo! Ashlyn, do you know that they just finished filming season four of Discovery? Yeah, and I heard that they were also doing
0: reshoots. So, like, they film it, they finished shooting, and then, I don't know, I I just, like, kind of browse through Star Trek Twitter sometimes, and I see that there's, like, some hot drama going on with um, Alex Kurtzman. And Paramount and CBS. And I think that they are trying to maybe fix some things that he wrote and re- reshoot some episodes. um Really? But I am not the most up to date on all the drama. And also, honestly, I don't know what's real or not. And so I don't want to like spend this podcast like talking about like rumors, you know, because I don't want to yeah. spread rumors. But I know that a lot of people in the Star Trek fandom are really upset with. Kurtzman thinking that he's steering the show in the wrong direction. Personally I have no opinion because I like what I've seen so far in Star Trek so I'm fine with whatever happens and at this point I really love all the shows including Discovery so whatever they do so far I'm supporting it. Yeah. But I do know they're doing reshoots and the reshoots are probably done by now regardless I am freaking out for the next season of Discovery.
1: Yeah, same. I'm very excited. I can't wait for it to come out. I know it's going to be a while, but I just am very excited to have new content that we can add to our different podcast series and everything. So it's very fun getting to talk about these three seasons over and over again, but I am excited (laughs) for some new ones as well. (laughs) Yeah,
0: this was the first time doing preparation for... Uh, a podcast episode where I felt like I actually knew all these episodes pretty well and could kind of hit all the notes in my memory of like, oh yeah, this is where Lorca does this and then like Leland does that. So it's nice to become so familiar with a show that I love so much because with the other series of Star Trek, like TNG and DS9 that I am like obsessed with and would die for, there's so much content. So it's hard to watch those shows like seven times in a row, Absolutely. you know, because there's
1: so much Star Trek. There's literally so much. It's like you would drown in it if you tried to rewatch these series all the time, so.
0: Yeah, so I, I love how we format our podcast because we get, like, tastes of it every single week.
1: Well, and what I really liked about doing the villain series for this episode was that we kind of watched all the scenes that we didn't watch for time travel or for love and affection or for family and so it was really perfect because I hadn't seen a lot of the Lorca scenes since my first watch of Discovery or I hadn't seen a lot of the mirror parts since Discovery so or since my first watch through so it was really refreshing to see different parts of the show. Yeah I totally agree
0: I thought that was awesome like normally In the episode where Pike goes to Borath, I just watched, like, the scenes of him getting the time crystal. And this time I was able to watch all the other ones to, like, get that hot Leland gossip. So (laughs) (laughs) it was great. I love it. So Rihanna... Before we get going with this episode, I wanted to introduce a new segment here on the pod because we just want to share our appreciation for all of our listeners. And so at the beginning of every podcast now, we are going to read a comment or a review or any kind of note that we've received from listeners about the podcast. And so we hope that you as a listener feel appreciated and we hope it encourages you to leave us a review or comment or just just share your feedback with us because we feel like I mean I think sometimes making a podcast is like talking into the void yeah and so obviously we see that we have listeners and we are like very very pumped but it's just so special when someone reaches out to us and so today I want to share a comment that we got from Starfleet's underscore finest on Instagram, and they say, I couldn't sleep last night, and at three, I went and searched for your podcast and listened to the Voyager time-traveling one. Very well done and fascinating. It's nice listening to girls talk rather than the podcast run by men. Just wanted to say thanks for helping me sleep.
1: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) you're so welcome. I, this makes me so happy. It, really is like that instant serotonin boost when we get comments like this. And it's not the reason we do it, but it's truly one of the things that brings me such joy is to know that we are helping others sleep or we're helping others (laughs) just get out of the craziness of the world for a bit. And I'm really glad that you like uh, that we're a female run. That was one of the things that was super important to us is to have sort of a women's perspective on Star Trek, especially because sometimes... science fiction in general can be a bit of a boys club and so it was it's just been really fun to have people commenting on that particularly as well i saw a twitter feed a little while ago that was like can i have more women-led star trek podcasts and i read or i got to see a lot of other podcasts run by women like women at warp and There's so many others that are just phenomenal, and I just want to shout out the women in Star Trek and how, you know, we're making the community diverse and different, and it's just really fun. So thank you for bringing that up. Rihanna, remind me of Spock's quote. Which one? There's so many.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sorry, I was going to see if you could read my mind, but that was a little too what, big. The infinite, <laughs> infinite possibilities and infinite diversities or something? The Vulcan belief that beauty, growth, and progress all result from the union of the unlike. Ooh, that's cool. Sorry. <laughs> um, yep, infinite diversities and infinite combinations.
0: Yeah, so that's kind of become my life motto. I just want to once again thank Starfleet's Finest for that comment. I think that fueled me for like a week. Whenever I was feeling like down that week, I was like, well, at least someone is enjoying our podcast. So that really is getting me through.
1: Yeah. Sometimes all you need is just a three AM listen to a podcast. So. Yeah, and I'm not offended at all that
0: we help you sleep because I frequently listen, like, use podcasts or audiobooks to help me get to
1: sleep. And so, honestly,
0: in this world, if you can get any sleep, like, I'm so happy for
1: you. Yeah. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So, Ashlyn, before we start out our, who would you run away with? (laughs) Portion of the pod. I want to go over the list of what we watched for this week, so people have a sort of glean uh, which villains we chose for Discovery. Yes. So we are starting out today with Lorca, and we watched the episodes Lefe, Into the Forest I Go, Despite Yourself, The Wolf Inside, Vaulting Ambition, and What's Past Prologue. And then for Giorgio, Emperor Giorgio, let me be clear. <laughs> Must be Emperor. <laughs> we watched The War Without and The War Within, or no, sorry, The War Without, The War Within, and Will You Take My Hand? And then for Leland slash Control slash Section 31, we watched Point of Light, Lights and Shadows, Light and Shadows, Project Daedalus, The Red Angel, Perpetual Infinity, through the Valley of Shadows, and Such Sweet so- Sorrow, Part 1 and 2. And then for the Orion Syndicate, slash the Emerald Chain, slash Osira, <laughs> we watch Scavengers, The Sanctuary, Sukal, There is a Tide, and The Hope is You, Part 2. Woo! So a lot of episodes we watched this week, we watched basically all of, um, almost all of it, it feels like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is such an interesting, well, again, we always talk about this with Discovery because it's one of the few linear Star Trek shows, and so this was actually my first time watching our theme out of order with Discovery Mm -hmm. because with all the other shows, like for example when we went through like our family series I would just watch all of the Wharf episodes like yeah in order like starting with season one going all the way to seven and then when we would go to Troy I would go all the way back to season one and watch her like that because with TNG it's kind of cool to see the episodes like that Mm -hmm. and so I decided to be chaotic for this one and watch it villain by villain. And so I started with um, the Orions and the Emerald Chain in season three. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to Lorca and Georgiou slash Klingons a little, and then I ended with Leland and Control. And Love I mean, there was like no benefit to it, except that I just, uh, maybe I uh, had a little more like knowledge going into Control, seeing how things were going to turn out in three, but. I don't know. I It was a fun experiment.
1: <laughs> that does sound fun, honestly. And something I want to mention, too, that we've talked about briefly and a little bit before, but because we're not including the Mirror Universe in our Villains series, we had a lot of trouble trying to figure out how we were going to separate Lorca and Giorgio from the villains, and we decided we can't. It's physically impossible because they since they come to the Prime Universe they are villains of the Prime Universe and so we decided to watch the Mirror Universe episodes in season one but we're just going to focus on them as characters not not on the universe itself so don't worry we're still going to have a Mirror Universe series eventually where we can really dive deep into the Mirror Universe that takes place in Discovery sort of everything to go on everything that goes on with the Terrans, and with the whole Emperor system, like everything, we'll get really into depth when we have that series. So do not fear, but right now we're just focusing on characters and their most villainous intent. Okay, so Rihanna, I have a
0: very, very important question for you today. In Star Trek Discovery, if you could run away with any villain, who would it be and why?
1: Okay, so the obvious answer is Emperor Jojo. but I'm gonna go a little deeper today, and I'm gonna say I would run away with Mirror Detmer. Okay, tell me more! So, everyone on this podcast, if you've listened to, like, any of them, know that I'm gay, (laughs) and, um... I just think she's really hot, first of all. I don't know. I think Detmer in general is a very um, attractive person. And I thought her her character has always been very enticing to me. And I always want to learn more about Detmer. And we only get snatches of her. And I like wish we have more and all of this stuff. And so seeing her in a mirror universe being the first officer to Captain Michael, it is just badass and it's hot and I love it. And so honestly, I have really no ulterior motive other than that, like, she's really cool and she seems very resourceful and like I would love to run away with her seems like she could be my captain I'd be fine with that or I or I could be hers you know I I think either way it would work great (laughs) I love that and I can't say
0: I wasn't expecting it it did take me by surprise but I think I got a text this week from you Rihanna that was like oh by the way I think I'm in love with Mira Detmer yeah Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was like, okay, this
0: this fits. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I already kind of showed my hand there, but Ashlyn, what yeah. about you? How who would you run away with?
0: Oh, thank God you took Detmer because I have to take Empress Dorjo. Good. Um, <laughs> oh my God! I mean, I'm gonna just say this throughout the podcast, so I might as well start right away in saying that she is becoming one of my favorite characters on the show. In every rewatch, I appreciate her more and more. And I think especially watching her in this villain's lens, she has such an incredible arc and such such consistent writing throughout the show and just the acting alone is amazing. Michelle Yeoh is just like so phenomenal. And so to have a talent like her in Star Trek is so amazing. I love seeing her as an emperor in season one. I love seeing her in section 31 in season two. And then I love seeing her like mess up the future in season three. I mean, I just, if she's in the scene, I am clapping and I'm crying. So, <laughs> simultaneously or back to back? Oh, both. Yeah, all at the same time. <laughs> I think we would have a nice life together because I think I would understand her like, craziness. And maybe I would go to a mirror universe with her and we could just have a nice life together. So.
1: You know, yeah. that sounds pretty great.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Rihanna, you and I can meet up for lunch in the mirror universe with our wives.
1: Yeah. The only problem is that we'd be dining on Kelpian, so maybe we can meet in the prime. Well, I still think that
0: I could be a vegetarian in like mm. we both could be vegetarian in the prime universe and hopefully our
1: wives would stay with us. Maybe th- through That's that. Questionable, but-
0: <laughs> <laughs> maybe they only eat meat. I don't know.
1: It's that seems on brand
0: for the Mirror Universe.
1: <laughs> Only eat meat. Maybe that's why the Vulcans got conquered so uh, quickly the Mirror mm. Universe. But anyway, <laughs> uh, on that note, Ashlyn, we uh, I spoke in the order of the episodes we watched, is the order we're going to talk about these villains this week. So um, we're going to start out with Lorca. Gabriel Lorca, not Prime, <laughs> but... Suspected Prime for quite a while.
0: <laughs> I like Suspected Prime.
1: I think that's a good name. Yeah, yeah. he's uh, kind of the uh, wolf in sheep's clothing in this show. Yeah. yeah, he's the wolf in the fold, you might oh say. Oh my god, good one, Ashlyn. Wow, <laughs> you get the Star Trek reference in a Star Trek podcast award today.
0: <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's why we created this podcast, yeah. for moments like that. So, fucking-
1: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a quick question about Lorca, as we start into him. Ashlyn, how long did it take before you realized
0: he was bad? Oh man, it took me... I did not realize the entire time. It took me completely by surprise that he was bad. And also, I had a really tough, it was just hard for me because when I started watching Discovery the first time, I felt like the show was so much different from all the other Star Trek shows. I just wasn't sure if I liked it or not. The Klingons were off-putting for me. I didn't really like the plot in the beginning. And I was really upset that they killed the female captain right away when I thought it was going to be like a female historical run show the whole time. So I was annoyed they had this white man on board. But also, I love Jason Isaac so (laughs) much. Like, I, I love him as Lucius Malfoy in Harry Potter. And so I have the connotation of him being a super evil but fun character. And so when I saw that he was on Discovery, I was like, well... I suspect him to be villainous because they kind of tend to typecast actors sometimes. But then I was like, you know what? This is really cool. They're just giving him a chance, like as an actor, clean slate. He's going to be this cool, awesome guy. And it's especially confusing because anytime that Lorga does something that could be thought of as villainous or evil, his justification is we are in the middle of a war. And so I'm also like, well, you're right. And also, i mean there's this is so complex for me and i do love michael as a character i always loved her from the beginning even though she like mutineered in the in the second episode yeah but the fact that Lorca was the one person on the whole show giving her a chance it made me like him and so it made me feel like okay michael's got someone in her corner and i'm gonna choose to trust him big mistake (laughs) (laughs) like big mistake so it took me all the way until Lorca was in the mirror universe in
1: the torture chamber
0: (laughs) and he's saying the name of like that guy's sister that he like raped and killed and I'm like oh jesus (laughs) yeah Yeah. I was 100% fooled and I think the additional complexity of my relationship with Jason Isaacs as an actor, I also, I'm going to be honest, I think he's super attractive. I unfortunately have kind of a Silver Fox thing. And so, (laughs) like, ooh, I just really love i really love him (laughs) yeah
1: see this is what i was gonna i was gonna out you to the audience so i'm glad you added yourself because i was gonna be like isn't it mostly the fact that you think he's kind of (laughs) hot
0: well and it's not only like a silver fox thing that i have it's it's actually like an older star trek actor thing that i have because my first celebrity crush which is like embarrassing to everyone else but not on a star trek podcast but my first celebrity crush was DeForest kelly She read his autobiography. She... I had a stand-up of McCoy. Yeah. I have a creepy or nerdy what or amazing necklace, however you want to look at it. That's just like <laughs> DeForest Kelly's head from uh, Voyage Home. It's amazing. Like, s- specifically that movie. I am obsessed with him, and I like... Oh, yeah, anyway... I've, like, tried to watch his old movies, his old, like, cowboy movies. Anyway, <laughs> this is not a DeForest Kelly podcast. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. But it started with that, and then every, like, older Star Trek actor I'm just, like, in love with. So, anyway, Jason Isaacs absolutely fills that role for me. Yeah. Okay, so Rihanna, um, since you are not charmed by the antics of Jason Isaacs as I am, what was your
1: thoughts about Lorca on the first run-through, and were you fooled? I was also completely fooled. Ashlyn and I watched the first season of Discovery together, so we were able to sort of experience the shock together, which was really fun. But honestly, I think I was a little bit pulled in by your love for him. (laughs) (laughs) Because um, I have sort of some younger um, (laughs) sibling-ness. I have some younger sibling-ness because whenever Ashlyn does something, I think it's really cool and I love it (laughs) because she's the older sister and I used to like be her shadow and everything and so honestly I was like well if Ashlyn likes Lorca then like that that's that's a stamp of approval (laughs) so Uh. not to say that you corrupted me or anything but you corrupted me no just kidding I think that Lorca honestly because I felt similarly so I do really like Jason Isaacs I think it's it was fun to see him in another role that wasn't Harry Potter, that wasn't Malfoy, and also, I think I was sort of also thinking about another member of the Malfoy family, Tom Felton, who plays Draco Malfoy, and he is actually in a season of The Flash later on, and it was truly, like, because he's sort of introduced, and no spoilers, but, like, he's sort of introduced as this character who's kind of a, a little... You know what? He's kind of a little b. And so I'm like, ah, he's gonna be another Draco Malfoy, but he's not. He's like a genuinely really cool character, and I'm really glad they had an addition to him in the Flash. Plus, it's fun to see him in like such a famous actor be in a show that I really enjoy. And so I think that I was also sort of thinking, okay, they're gonna do the same. I don't know why, but just because they play you know they play family members in harry potter i'm like maybe they'll give him the the tom felton treatment you know and let him play like a really cool character who's super down to earth and everything and ashlyn i think you're correct as well as sort of the war being the war going on deep space nine is one of my favorite star trek shows and so i was deeply thinking about how cisco made a lot of allowances for the war and how garrick was always straddling those lines between good and, evil, and I mean, all of our characters we see basically go through a sort of questionable period of doing something morally ambiguous in order to win a certain hill of the war kind of thing, and so, or win a certain battle. So I think that I was giving allowances for that as well. I understand that the war with the Klingons is always sort of a fabled very big thing in Star Trek that we haven't really been able to see a lot of. And so, yeah, I think that I completely agree with you, Ashlyn. He really took me in in that way of being like, well, he's kind of a he's kind of a hard ass, but he's also um, very strong and very set in his ways, and it makes him a capable captain, and it makes him a capable captain, especially during war, because you don't need someone who's soft and who has, like, will hold on to Starfleet values no matter what. Like, it'd be harder to see someone like, Picard in the role of, uh, the Klingon War, because Picard would have a lot of a harder time making those allowances and making those decisions, and so they needed someone like Lorca, who we think has come from a past of his ship being destroyed by the Klingons, right? Yep. Um, but yeah, so I think that I had a lot of empathy for him because he's also coming we think he's coming from a past of uh revenge and hatred of the Klingons and also just wanting to sort of avenge his crew and revitalize his name you know as a captain and everything after losing his ship and his crew and so I was like okay he's got a lot of trauma to work through like it's understandable that he's acting in these certain questionable ways and honestly like So much of Star Trek does not lead you to have the captain be a villain. And so I think that's what's so brilliant about Discovery and its villains is that they come from unlikely places and it takes you by surprise. And they can only do that in a linear type show.
0: Yes, this is such a good point is we have been at this point conditioned to love every captain that is on our ship. And even if you don't, like even if you wouldn't die for them, you still have a deep appreciation for them and how hard their job is. Absolutely. And I also just wanted to bring up an additional complication is that even Michael as a character is not perfect. Yeah. And like I like I mentioned, she mutinied in the, in the <laughs> second episode. And so she's really thought of as the villain to everybody else around her. And so now it makes sense that Lorca is going after her, because of course he has this history with her in the new universe. But also because he sees a kindred spirit in her—someone who is not, someone who's above the rules—in order to do what they think is the right thing, or in order to achieve their own means. And so, I think there's like that connection with them. It's it's very complex. I'm excited to dive deeper into it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So he, of course, appears because uh, poor Giorgio has died in the uh, attack of the Klingons. And uh, Lorca has been assigned as the captain of Discovery. I believe he was on the Baran before this. Yes. And it was uh, destroyed in the early part of the war. It seems like Lorca has a long history of Starfleet. What we, of course, don't know at the beginning of the season is that Prime Lorca actually died on the Baran. And Mirror Lorca appeared there on accident
1: yeah Yeah. so there was it was very similar to mirror mirror in the original series where they transported during an ion storm and switched places and so then uh prime Lorca was killed in the mirror universe probably pretty brutally (laughs) yeah so we literally (laughs) never get to know him which is absolutely crazy because in most near circumstances, we get to see both sides. And so I think this is something that uh, creates an interesting dynamic with Lorca is that I don't even have a semblance of what Lorca is like besides what we hear from Admiral Cornwell because Admiral Cornwell and him used to date or something or at least they're pretty friendly with each other as they <laughs> sleep together, you know. And so I think there was definitely a history there. Um, but she's mostly saying, like, you've changed, Gabriel. Like, you – like, something happened on the brand like, once it exploded, that really changed you. And, of course, the change is that it's not him. <laughs> but he she thinks it's a PTSD or trauma uh, situation. Yeah, in the first episode that we watched, Lethe, Cornwell appears
0: on Discovery, um, I think, to check in and to talk to Lorca. Mm-hmm. And they do end up sleeping together in this episode. And at the end – so it's, it's, it's funny because she – is very open to sleeping with him all he has to do is put his hand on her leg and she's like hey and he's, yeah. he, he's very crafty about it he's like well if we only have 50 minutes together I'd rather be doing like I'd rather be spending it doing something else and she's like hey that sounds good and so it's clear that they used to sleep together she talks about how they had a romantic moment long ago and he says it seems like a different life <laughs> you know um, yeah. all of these like obvious ways he's um, he's putting it. But uh, at the end of their time together, they're asleep and she is touching the scar on his back, which is clearly... From the Prime Universe, this like crazy, or from the from the Terran Universe, he has this crazy scar, Mm -hmm. and that wakes him up, and he pulls a phaser, and he's about to like kill her, basically. And she knows at that point, oh, he's unstable, he's not okay, he lied on all of his tests, and the only piece of the puzzle that she's missing is that he's not the same person. He's literally not Prime Lurka. But I was so admiring of her that she completely figured him out six episodes into the show the first time that they're meeting each other she knows right away this is not who you are and she of course attributes it to ptsd of being i mean in this he he had just previously been tortured by klingons yeah um and everything that happened on the baran but i was just feeling so sad for her this watch through because she guessed everything completely right And she's basically like punished for it. You know, he's like, it's fine, it's all because of the war. And also, she doesn't even really do anything about it except give him a verbal warning.
1: Well, the reason she doesn't is because she says, I will report this to Starfleet. Like, you need to button up or get your stuff together or, like, step down because you are clearly emotionally compromised and not fit for command. Like you said, she was like, you lied on your test and everything. And then he pretty much puts her in clear. Uh, line of the Klingons and gets her captured. So she literally can't. She is physically incapable of reporting him to Starfleet because he knows, oh, she's on to me. Maybe it's not exactly what she suspects, but definitely it could get him out of commission or, you know, stop him from his goal of making it back to the Terran universe. And so he is completely fine with sending her into the waiting arms of the Klingons to possibly be killed, to definitely be tortured so this shows like right away his brutality someone he literally just slept with he's like all right anyway um they can't figure out my secret i'm glad like he didn't just kill her outright but it's still a little bit it's it's a smarter way to do it because then it makes it look like she just was caught in the middle of a diplomatic mission went wrong kind of thing because she is sent out there to talk with the klingons and then obviously it does not go well
0: yes and i mean so two things i think this is just a tuesday afternoon in the mirror universe for him (laughs) sleep with someone send them off to his enemies the next minute yes and then second i think that well i I remember watching this through the first time my justification of his actions was instead of clearly thinking oh he's using her to get her out of the way and sending her directly in harm's way i kept thinking that he is so passionate about staying on Discovery, and and I believed him when he said, "Oh, like this this ship is my life. It's all I have left. I'm desperately trying to keep myself together." Yeah, and he
1: begs her. He's like, "Don't take it away from me."
0: Yeah, but in reality, he's totally playing with her. This is all just emotional ma- manipulation, and. I believed him completely and I thought oh he's so desperate to keep his ship he would cause her physical harm because and, and is willing to sacrifice her to keep Discovery but it's all for the wrong it's all for the wrong reasons.
1: <laughs> yeah you know Ashlyn I uh, kind of had this is going to sound absolutely insane so hear me out but mm-hmm. there are some similar parallels to him and Janeway in the fact that like when I was initially watching it I was like okay, Jadeway has done similar stuff where during the year of hell, she threatens to turn off the doctor's program because he says that she's unfit for command uh, psychologically. And she, her, of course, justification is like... There- literally will die without me, and uh, we're stuck in the Delta Quadrant, so you can't enforce any of these Starfleet rules. And it's perfectly valid, I understand that, but she is also very much the kind of person, and many captains are, who will work through, or who will continue to work despite their trauma, regardless Picard. of how. <laughs> literally, thank you. Like, yeah. even Cisco, um, because of these quote-unquote, like, desperate times, and they aren't desperate, I'm not gonna quote-unquote, actually. <laughs> they're just, they're desperate, and they're, very difficult and so you're right this is exactly the sort of brand of captain that we see quite often so it did make a lot of sense to me i was like okay this is just uh this is just a janeway or picard or cisco situation yeah, that's a great point. And especially because this show is supposed to be set even before the original
0: series. We're assuming that the captains and everyone in Starfleet is even less, like, it, they've gone through even less therapy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, don't have counselors on board yet. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. And even though Cornwell is a counselor, she's not there for her therapy. Right. Um, mm-hmm. She's there for love. Yeah, love, love <laughs> therapy. A little bit of loving. Anyway so we see this more in like into the forest I go uh the next episode that we saw in the way that he's manipulating Stamets it's just clear that Lorca is an absolute master of manipulation Mm -hmm. because he just uses everybody's emotions against them because initially he's talking to Stamets and he's like you need to do 133 jumps for me And um, it's all for science and it's about exploration. And Stamets, Stamets is like, I don't want to do any of that. But then when Lorca continues and says, but what about after the war? Like when the war is done, we want to continue to push the boundaries. Of science and life in the universe and don't you want to be a part of that journey with me? Which is totally appealing to why Stamets is a scientist in the first place. And why he why developed he, this spores. Yeah and why he freaking like put tardigrade DNA in his body. Like it's because he's so passionate about everything. About his whole life on Discovery that it's just like oof yeah. to see Lorca so easily just in a couple minutes say push your body beyond its limits because I want you to.
1: Well, and this sort of—I mean—the other justification Lorca uses here is that they need to make these micro jumps so that they can crack the cloak, the the code on the Klingon ship that allows them to cloak. And because if they have this information, they can win the war. If they have the cloak breaking code or whatever, um, they're as good as they're like their Starfleet is good to go because they'll be able to find all the cloak ships. Uh, in, like, the Klingon ships, and so again, it's another justification that manipulates people into doing what he wants, it's for the war it's for, it's for other people's lives, so sacrifice your body your physical and mental health in order to do this, and um, I don't know, it's just it's a slippery slope, because like, for a stamets, this has lasting effects lasting dire effects, that literally causes him to go into, like, a spore coma essentially Mm -hmm. and of course Hugh uh, his partner and his doctor he's livid you know he's saying uh he said to Lorca like as they're watching Stamets after he's gone through all these jumps and everything they did break the code but now they're stuck in this universe in this mirror universe and um you know Colbert's just sort of like talking bad about Lorca understandably and then he comes in and Colbert's like, speak of the devil, you know, and then (laughs) later on when he's, they're both looking at Stamets, Colbert turns to Lorca and says, did you want this to happen? You know, because he's starting to catch on too. They're starting to realize Starfleet captains don't put their officers through illegal experimentation and push their bodies to the limits unless something is super wrong with that captain, you know, unless something is really off about them. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's so manipulative that again, he's saying like, "Oh well, Stamets wanted this too. Like, he wanted to help, like, make sure that like we could get break the code and everything." And during this these micro jumps, Stamets is literally saying like, "I can't make it. Like, I will not make it." And Lorca's is pretty much like, "Too bad." Hmm. Yeah, I think
0: that I mean, like you were just talking about with Janeway and the Doctor. Sometimes the it's someone out, who's outside of the situation is the best one to judge it. So, like, obviously Lorca is clearly bad and evil, but I think it is interesting the first person who starts to realize it is Kolber, mm-hmm. who's experiencing his his uh, manipulation firsthand. Yeah, I would love to have Kolber on the podcast because he would have some, like, really cutting words for
1: Lorca. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely oh my god and i also um so we talk about him pushing stamets i mean also he allowed and encouraged illegal human experimentation which of course is a no-no in starfleet you can't just like combine random uh species dna with your own and then use it to power a ship that's 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 bad because then of course tilly was like uh, banned from telling Colbert about the side effects that Stamus was experiencing and all of this. But I also want to mention, too, that Lorca, on top of this, is also sending Ash Tyler into the field after he's had multiple instances of PTSD. Yes. And I know that he's not, like, reporting it because he wants to just keep it buttoned up and, like, only Michael and Cornwell, no one else. And, but still, either way, Lorca was the one who helped rescue tyler from this klingon prison camp he knows that he's been there for like so many days it's been so long i can't remember It's been like months i think yeah it's been months since ash has been there and undergone such horrific torture and things so many things have happened to him things that a lot of us don't even realize until later but anyway i think that like this is just shows again Lorca's true pursuit is just to get back to the Terran universe and to bring the knowledge of what he learned about the prime universe and use that to attempt to take over and overthrow the emperor and everything and so he's telling Stamets trillions of lives are at stake here do whatever you can and he's saying like to Tyler just to like go, go do this thing for me, you know? And so he just clearly sees these members of the crew as expendable or as pieces that he can just utilize for his own gain.
0: Yeah. So as you're talking about Lorca more and more, I am kind of in awe of him a little bit. I know, I know how that sounds, but I'm just thinking about other villains that we've talked about in the series if they were in the perspective that Lorca was in, where all of a sudden they appear in a different universe and they are in command of one of the most powerful ships in Starfleet, maybe just one of the most powerful ships in the quadrant, honestly, like no matter what species. And he doesn't just like use the spore drive to like destroy everything. He instead carefully plans. I mean, it's it's brilliant. Like, it's so awful, but he's very thought he's everything is really thought out. It reminds me of villains in other shows that I've seen, like Lelouch in Code Geass, which is a wonderful anime. Um, Maybe I don't know if he's quite on like lights level in Death Note, um, Walter White and Breaking Bad, but like these are the these are the type of villains that are so methodical and so intelligent that it's it's scary, you know, how much they've thought this out. And so I, I, I just am impressed with Lorca that he could have, because we know how ruthless he is, he could have just, like, murdered everybody on Discovery and, like, yeeted his way back to the mirror universe. But... Or, honestly, he could have just asked Starfleet, be like, yo, I'm from the wrong universe, can you send me back? Mm-hmm. But he said, no, all of these assets here are awesome. I'm going to gather my forces, and I'm going to go back, and I'm going to be Emperor.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm going to use this very dangerous spore drive technology, dangerous if it's in the wrong hands, I mean, um, to take over this other universe that I'm in. And, yeah, so I think um, that's such a good point, Ashlyn. Thank you for bringing that up, because also Michael says to him, once she finds out that he is evil and he's from the Terran universe and all of this, um, he she says... You could have just told us and asked, yep. and we would have helped you. This is who Starfleet is, and you yep. should realize that by now. But, of course, coming That's from... fun! <laughs> yeah, coming from a Terra universe, you grow up learning to expect deceit and violence, and you grow up in a world that is constantly like you're constantly watching your back because it could be stabbed at any moment you know and so I think that this is something that brings a lot of paranoia and a lot of fear to everyone who lives in the Terran universe particularly people who are higher up and who are captains of starships and things because they have to deal with you know this constant fear and suspicion you know I don't want to equate too Deeply, but I do kind of think that it's also similar to how a lot of Romulans live. And I'm using a lot of my knowledge because of the uh, Una McCormack books, book The Last Best Hope. That's about the Picard series, but they talk a, she talks a lot about Romulan culture in that book and how you grow up learning how to become a master at lies and a master of deceit because that's the best way you're going to survive living in. A society that has the Tal Shiar and that has like, literally, it's in like a Romulan second nature to lie because it's what you're taught by society, and so I think that's very similar to Terrans and the universe itself. I mean, we heard from George O that, um, like, she climbed the ladder because of all the people she killed because of the. Trail of bodies she left behind the, or left behind her, and so I'm sure Lorca has done the same thing. I mean, we see clearly that he's building a following around him to try to overthrow the emperor, and this is done through lies, and this is done through deceit, and it's done through manipulation and using the right key players. Which we find out one of the key players he utilizes in this mirror universe is Taryn Michael. And that they have this odd connection, you know, through universes. And the connection is only because Lorca wanted it to be that way. And because he ushered himself into this life. Like, Like, once he found himself in the Prime Universe, he was like, well, I've already manipulated one Michael, might as well try for another. I know I can do it. They have, you know, similar, whatever, pursuits. And so, anyway, I just think that, like, yes, it's Lorca, but it's also the Terran culture
0: yes that is a really good point and i want to point out a couple of things that we learn once we're in the prime universe is that Lorca was not only just like a rival of george o's he was initially her right hand man mm-hmm. and he was serving directly under her and he betrayed her by slowly turning michael against george o and manipulating her into falling in love with him so empress Dorjo joe says to prime michael in these last couple episodes of season one that he was your father figure for a long time until you grew up and then he became more and we know that they were lovers very creepy yeah. um and yeah so there's that whole relationship so there's so much betrayal going on and as you mentioned like that's just how the prime or that's just how the Terran universe works is you promote you get promoted by killing your superior mm-hmm. and so naturally by having Lorca be Giorgio's number one she's got to know that at some point Lorca is going to try to kill her and so he does the other thing I want to bring up is that I just for some reason I hadn't noticed it very I hadn't noticed it at all really until this watch through about villains but Lorca talks so much about destiny when he's finally revealed that everybody knows that he's evil, he just basically talks, He his excuse for everything is that it's not me doing all of this, it's destiny. And he talks about how meeting Michael was an act of destiny. But really, it was because he looked at the crew manifest of Starfleet, saw Michael's name, and ordered her to be on the ship. That wasn't destiny. I mean... Yeah. But so it makes me think deeper about someone like Lorca because he's already a very powerful person in the Terran universe. He comes to the Prime, and he must feel like this was not an accident that brought me to the Prime universe. Whereas you know, and we're gonna talk a lot, about, a lot more about this in the Mirror Universe series. But like so when people like Kirk and McCoy and Uhura and Sue so- and yeah, and Uhura go over to the and Scotty go over to the mirror universe, they don't think, God put us here. This is my time to shine. They don't think that. They think, whoops, the transporter malfunctioned. Yeah. But when Lorca goes over there, he thinks, I have been chosen. I am the one who will lead the people into the next great universe, you know, because that's that's how big his ego is. And so I just have to point out that much like Gold Dukat, he, they are both villains who are rule who who live their lives as if they are the chosen ones and as if they are the leaders to bring peace to this chaotic world.
1: <laughs> yeah, Ashlyn, thank you for that gold ducat. I didn't even think of that, but once you were saying like, chosen leader. I was like, that sounds familiar. That kind of bullshit. I mean, god damn yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. That kind of BS rhetoric is something that sounds too familiar. But yes, totally Gold Ducat. And also, um, I think he thinks that there was some divine intervention going on because he was supposed to die in the brand and it was only because of this transporter accident that he was able to live while the rest of his crew died. And so I think that that also rallied him, you know, to think – okay, well I was chosen, I was supposed to die here, and instead I got to swap places and my prime counterpart was the one to die, so I must take advantage of this. It's right, he had his like second coming (laughs) when he realized that he could have died, you know, so instead of trying to live a better life, he was like, I'm gonna try to live a dominating like evil life (laughs) even more so. Yeah, I just feel like it's a really
0: interesting study in power because Absolutely. he thinks i have the power to travel between universes i am the only one who's ever done it which maybe he's the first one we don't we have we don't know actually we do because of enterprise he's not <laughs> he's not the first to travel between universes but um i think someone with his ego that's just the that's the result is he's he's thinking i am the most powerful being in the universe because i am doing things that no one else has ever done before
1: Yes, exactly. That's so dangerous. And he says when they're entering the universe, he says to Michael because she's starting to lose it. She's like, I don't know how long I can stay here. This is like, it's such a toxic place (laughs) to try to be captain, you know, and she's constantly afraid for her life, all of this stuff. And when she gets to have a conversation with Lorca, he says decency and weakness will get us killed. He knows this. He knows that if you show any sort of weakness in the Terran universe, you're dead. And how this is very much a, a sort of a Darwinist experiment, you know, that the uh, strong will survive and the weak will perish. And um, he's fine with that, you know, because he's had to be and he's had to learn to adapt to every situation and act accordingly via violence, you know. And so, um, yeah, it... God, he's just dangerous, and um, we find out that he also has still some crew members like laying in wait, laying, I should say, at the bottom of a torture chamber, at the bottom of the agony booth. <laughs> what do they call them, agonizers? In this universe, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, They're laying at the bottom of these agonizers, waiting for Lorca to come back, and a lot of them kept the faith that he would return, and so it shows that he had quite oops, that he had quite the following which is just scary you know that he he was able to develop so much hatred for jo- Giorgio and really he was pretty close to overthrowing her before he got transported i believe i mean he was because he had michael and everything so once he comes back and he frees all of his uh like unit essentially they are pretty swift in changing people's minds who used to be loyal to to Giorgio. They started to fold and started to be on Lorca's side. The moment that Giorgio sees Michael from the prime universe, it starts she starts to lose her upper hand in that situation. So, uh yeah, it's just crazy how quickly he can turn the tide. That shows his expert level of manipulation and just like swiftness too.
0: Yeah, it just proves that he is He's just so powerful in both universes, and he definitely thrives when she's, once he's back in the Terran because he's allowed to be himself once more, and he can just be full evil. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also want to begin to talk about Giorgio at this point because uh, these two villains are linked, as we talked about. There's kind of a weird triangle between Giorgio, Lorca, and Michael, even though there wasn't a connection between Lorca and Michael in the prime universe, like the prime Lorca this we know that Giorgio was basically Michael's adoptive mom in the prime universe I mean she didn't raise her but once she was Giorgio's first officer once Michael was Giorgio's first officer it was a very close relationship and they knew each other for like 7 years they were finishing each other's sentences it was just a perfect team mm-hmm. and so when we learn in the Terran universe that Giorgio actually literally adopted michael because she found michael on uh, a pile like of trash or something i yeah. can't remember what she says but she found michael in a really desperate situation because michael was orphaned in both universes and so she adopted her and raised her as her own we talk about this for like hours on our family discovery podcast, so go ahead and uh, take a listen to that. We talk about all the badass mom moments mm-hmm. that that uh, that, that Giorgio has, but um, I think it's really interesting to see because Michael. So at first, when she comes into the into the Terran universe, she's trying to act like she's also Terran. but at one point, she has to tell Giorgio, Empress Giorgio, the truth and say, okay, yo, I'm not from this universe. Um, I gotta be honest, like, I don't know where Taryn Michael is. Sorry. Um, And it is interesting to see how quickly Giorgio softens, because I think she... I don't know if they know about the other universe like if they've heard stories from it I would imagine not but it seems like Giorgio feels safer being with someone like Michael who is not used to the harsh nature of the mirror universes or of the of the Terran universe and I think that's exactly why people under her command are turning so easily because she's been in power for a long time and as humans, our nature is when someone has been in power for a long time or when things have been going wrong for a long time, we will desperately search for any other option to change our circumstances. And Lorca was someone that already had a lot of followers. And so if all of a sudden your emperor starts showing weakness. And sh- then it's an easy excuse to say, okay, well, I'm going to turn.
1: And she's annoying. So I'd rather have Lorca be in charge. You well, know? And I think it's probably also a sexist thing because we know that the Mirror Universe uh, is very sexist. We hear even Lorca say that when they find out that Tilly is one of the most feared captains in the Mirror Universe, um, he says that that is, quote, absurd. You know? That Tilly could be a fear like a a frightening captain captain killy you know and so yes there's a lot of women in power in the mirror universe but i think that a lot of the men particularly the um masochistic or not the masochistic the misogynistic men uh are afraid of that and they're afraid of these powerful women and um that shows you know i think that particularly georgio she commands a lot of power and fear and respect but you're absolutely right once she shows an ounce of weakness weakness being love or care Decency. compassion yeah yeah <laughs> um then they're like well she's she's not it <laughs> you know essentially and um real quick i love that the first description we get of the emperor is i think it's like um mirror bryce or whatever he goes the emperor's savage <laughs>
0: yes okay and also i just want to read her full title thank you
1: i was hoping you wrote it down oh i sure did because i
0: was like this is going to be perfect for the pod this is some (laughs) this is a Daenerys targaryen s title so yes rihanna that's exactly what i was thinking um okay so the first scene that we see her in i think it literally is bryce like the the mirror bryce Mm -hmm. says "Uh, here she is the imperial majesty mother of the fatherland Overlord of Vulcan, Dominus of Cronos, Regina and Dor, all hail, Emperor, Philippa, Giorgio, Augustus, Laponius Centurius. <laughs> all hail, Emperor Giorgio <laughs> oh, thank you, Rihanna. Okay. So, Rihanna, literally in my notes, I was like, this is me cuz I was like literally like, "Oh, hail the emperor." <laughs> because like as now that I've seen this show so much, I'm so pumped to see Giorgio. So, I'm like, "Woohoo! Fascism is great."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally I'm like quaking with excitement every time I see her, even when she's evil. <laughs> Yeah, I love her so much. Yeah,
0: um, I so I just want to break apart that title real quick while we're talking about it. So obviously, mother of the fatherland, which makes me think about like, yeah, she's over overcome. Oh yeah, Earth. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah, Hmm. like mankind. Yeah, I just thought about it like. In she's overcome, like, a male-dominated mm, species. Okay. So she's mother of Love the fatherland. Mm-hmm. Um, Overlord of Vulcan. That kind of speaks for itself. Those yeah, poor vegetarian poor Vulcan. Vulcans <laughs> never stood a chance. Um, Dominus of Kronos. And we know, because at the end of season one, Giorgio talks about how she defeated Kronos. And that was by putting, like... An atom bomb, or like an equivalent hydrogen bomb, hydrogen bomb at the center of Kronos and exploding everything, like via volcano. Yeah, yeah. So basically, like eliminating the Klingon race, except the ones that were off-world, like very Nero-ish, and then Regina Andor, which is the queen of Andoria. Those are (laughs) Earth, Vulcan. Klingons and Andorians are the most prominent species in the quadrant besides Romulans. We don't know anything about Mirror Romulans in this uh, in this season mm-hmm. of Discovery, but like that is absolutely unbelievable. Oh man, like she basically created a, a coalition of species faster than the. <laughs> Well, no, I guess about the same. I think there have been emperors for a long time, but it seems like this type of, this rule, like Caesar-Rome-like rule, has been happening for a long, long time.
1: Yes. Yeah, I feel like these dynasties lost a a long time because it's the only way that Terrans know how to run a political system is through one leader until they're overthrown. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay, so... It's crazy because those are all uh, future Federation members as well, like all these species. And so yep. um, I also thought that like the fact that they call themselves Terrans and we just talked about Paxton and Terra Prime in our um, Ooh, in our Enterprise spicy. villain podcast. I don't know. I just like the whole Terran thing, the whole like from Earth, it's very similar that um, – Paxton wanted a like humans only Earth and wanted all of the uh, other other aliens to leave and other species to leave Earth immediately so that like it could be hashtag humans only and literally Giorgio and Mirror Universe in general does the same thing. Uh, Michael describes it as quote a hatred of of anything other and so it's very much just like a white supremacy rule. But for Terrans. And so I don't know I don't know, I just found that interesting that like <laughs> Paxton's regime was similar to a literal mirror universe like Imperial Dynasty and it's terrible and scary.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure that's where the name came from. Mm-hmm. Like I'm sure the Enterprise writers were like, Oh, Terra. Yeah, like Terra yeah. is scary. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Terra is scary.
1: Yeah, and I also wanna remind or like say too that um when also they're talking about the emperor and everything, they're just describing her as quote the emperor. I think one of the other Discovery Mirror crew members says that uh, that the mirror that the this universe is quote ruled by a faceless emperor. And so I wonder if this means that Giorgio operates a lot in the shadows, if she is not making a lot of these public appearances, but she seems to be on this gigantic ship, like this gigantic warship, and. I don't know if she just, it seems like she stays central and then commands the rest of her fleets and all of that to go and take over certain worlds and stuff. But I was wondering what they meant by Faceless Emperor. Was it just the writers trying to be like, ooh, this is going to be a surprise. We're building it up, you know, and you're not going to see the Emperor till the end of this episode kind of thing? Or I don't know. What do you think like Giorgio's role is as far as that, Ashlyn? I think it's both. Once we enter the Mirror Universe,
0: we don't even meet Giorgio until like the second episode I think and so who the emperor is is really veiled in a mystery Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so that's the writing answer that exactly what you said and I also think that in general when you have someone as a dictator it is definitely to the benefit of the ruler to have as little known about them as possible because if you have, if you're reading like a Facebook profile of <laughs> uh, like Emperor and you're like, oh, he likes like dogs and going for walks and like he, oh, he's, he's really into Harry Potter, you know, like <laughs> the, like facts like this can really diminish and allow the public to criticize who their leader is. But the, the less that is known about them. And if all you know about them is vague things, like they are warriors and they are passionate and they will defend your country then that's even better like i am thinking about like a place like north korea which is of course like absolute dictatorship kim jong-un is all we really know about him is like his picture and Mm -hmm. if he undergoes any kind of health problems or if he vanishes from the public for weeks at a time there's no reason there's no explanation given and all we know is that you have to have a picture up, you know, I mean, it's similar to like the Mao dynasty in China, like, whoever the the ruler is, you have to adore them. And that's the rule. So yeah. I think it's uh, I think it's both for that reason. I think it's it's better to be a dictator who no one really knows who no one knows about rather than someone say, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's Augustus. She's uh, she's killing it today, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, wow. There's just so much to unpack with Giorgio. I'm just glad they did this, but a little scared because when Lorca is facing off with Giorgio, they have a conversation whatever and she's like, "Haha, I got you whatever." Um, and she sees that Michael's alive and everything. Lorca is trying to implore impl- to the people around her, to her followers, saying that um, like, Giorgio is not the emperor that you should be following. Like, you should follow me and all this stuff. And he says, I want to, quote, make the empire glorious again. And I was like, uh, we don't need more MAGA in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it would be M-E-G-A. Yeah. <laughs> MAGA. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Well, I, I just thought do... that was a clever thing they did.
0: I... I'm trying to think because I think Discovery came out in 2017, right? So yeah, this, exactly. And then it would have been written and filmed in 2016 when this, you know, when Precisely. Trump definitely had uh, that saying long before he was elected. So yeah, that is that is really interesting. I think Brianna. it's
1: yeah, it's clever of the Star Trek writers um, to sort of put that in, saying like, "Hey, we're kind of in a mirror universe of ourselves right now." Yeah, we sure are. I
0: think that's also just a, a common thing for politicians to say in general is to harken back to the old times. Remember, like, when everyone lived simply and We all had enough, and we all worked together to make this great country, make this great universe. Remember how great that was? Like, I'm gonna bring it back. Instead of dividing the people, I'm gonna unite them. Yeah, you know, like, like, like... (laughs) oh, sorry. Yeah, it's it's just it's a typical thing, and it's an easy trick to play on the people to say, "Oh, I'm gonna like grab your
1: nostalgia, and I'm gonna take you for a ride." Yeah, absolutely. And I was watching some of these episodes with my girlfriend, and anytime Lorca would avoid a question by saying something clever, she'd be like, that's a good political answer. You know, and I think that that's exactly what he's employing in a lot of these circumstances and um, what a lot of the Terrans are very skilled at are these political, avoid the real question answers kind of thing. And, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, any Game of Thrones fans out there, I was really reminded about the Moon Door. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you thought about the moon door when you saw this door that Lorca got shoved into, but that's what I thought of.
0: (laughs) I didn't. I love the moon door, though. Um, Yeah, that's a Game of Thrones reference because there's a ruler of a realm whose castle's like really at the top part of the mountain. And there's a hole. It's like a nice. It's not a skylight. It's a moon door because you can just shove people at the bottom of it. And yeah, shove your exactly, enemies to their
1: death, essentially.
0: Yeah, like, who needs to execute when you can just push them into the ground and let, have them fall down the mountain?
1: Well, and uh, because Lorca's whole big thing was that, hey, Stamets has been developing this, evil mirror Stamets has been developing this biological weapon um, that is, in, the intention is to, like, wipe out a lot of people <laughs> and uh, for Lorca to become... Supreme ruler or whatever. And did you say
0: spore Lorca? <laughs> no, <laughs> you did. You said spore. I said Lorca. four, but I used a <laughs> S. I
1: <laughs>
0: I was like, okay. I instead of calling him Terra Lorca, let's call him
1: Spore, spore Lorca. Well, he will become Spore Lorca because he was sort of enveloped by them, and so. <laughs> um yeah, so Giorgio kills him by shoving a knife through him and then shoving him into the Spore Moon Door <laughs> or whatever we're gonna call it <laughs> Spore Moon Door. Um, but yeah, so then that's the end of the Mirror Universe, and everyone gets back safe and sound via the Spore Hub Network, whatever. Uh, thanks to Stamets, he's not in a coma anymore. Yeah, and
0: Giorgio has killed. Uh, one of the major villains in the series. One down, one to go is my perspective. <laughs> okay, Ashlyn,
1: yes, so true.
0: Thank you. It's <laughs> just like you need someone to do the dirty work. It's George O.
1: Yeah, and actually, let's talk about that a little because you're exactly right. This is precisely what Admiral Cornwell does. The moment she figures out that George O is from the Terran universe, she's like, great we can send her to do our dirty work because she will have zero qualms about it. Yeah, and
0: she wants to. She doesn't really like this universe at first. That's all about peace and kindness. She wants to play dirty. And I I do admire Giorgio because she is really rolling with the punches and I think that she does want to go back. Like she asked Michael, "Why did you bring me here? This is so annoying."
1: Yeah, and Michael was like, "You were literally about to be killed." <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. Michael saves her life because Michael loves her, even if it's even if it's evil, mom. She still she still loves her. But what's interesting is that you know we just we spent this whole hour talking about how Lorca saw discovery as such an asset and knew he was going to use it for revenge. When Giorgio comes into this universe, it's definitely under different circumstances because she's on a tighter leash. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows she's Terran and that she's the emperor, and so they are very wary of her and so they're not going to like give her a command of a starship for example despite all of that i still think if she wanted to she could have taken control of discovery or of the federation i think she could have done some serious damage but she doesn't choose to do that instead she decides to lay low and join section 31 and when starfleet asks her about how to defeat the klingons she talks about oh you know like what we already talked about with the hydrogen bomb destroying chronos and that's exactly what the federation agrees to which is crazy and so i just thought that just talking about the differences between lorca and georgia would be interesting because I'm wondering if she's tired of command and if she's tired of having to watch her back all the time and that's why she decides to lay low or what why do you think Rihanna why do you think she doesn't just like continue to go full Terran on this prime universe?
1: I like this question because it sort of brings up a point that makes Giorgio different from a lot of other Terrans and a lot of other mirror universe counterparts we've seen in other series and in this one because... Lorca, I feel like was sort of the—I don't know if you guys know about the Dungeons and Dragons uh, character alignments, but I like to sort of equate a lot of characters to different alignments and how they're aligned. more they are aligned morally. And one of the things that makes Lorca an interesting villain is that I think he's kind of lawful neutral, or sorry, he's a—he's uh, lawful evil. He follows a certain lawful standard almost in his evilness because he has a goal in mind and like you said Ashlyn he's very calculated in those goals. He has a very particular way of going about things and his manipulation. I think Giorgio is chaotic evil. I think that her preferred method is whatever delights her most in the moment usually those delights are violent you know violent delights mean violent ends (laughs) if we're we're talking shakespeare here i was just (laughs) thinking that (laughs) um but luckily her end was not violent but anyway that's where she is different than a lot of people in the terran universe and maybe different than maybe some other villains we're gonna see even here in discovery because she Is run by her own code of morals and that means do I want to gut someone today or do I want to like start a coup today (laughs) you know I mean those are her options or like should I now that I'm in this prime universe her options are do I take over discovery and carve my way carve my name into this into this prime universe or do I sort of go along with it because what the hell, we're here, might as well do some dirty work for people because it's fun. You know, I think that she enjoys being, like you said, Ashlyn, she enjoys sort of the chaos of getting to throw a hydrogen bomb into Kronos again (laughs) or getting, and, and especially that she's being told to do this by people who are supposedly good. I think that brings her a lot of pleasure because she gets to sort of show Michael up and be like, your universe is not as wholesome or as morally correct as you think it is you know and so I think she likes proving people wrong as well and the way she can do that is by working for section 31 is by showing people sure I'll do this I'm a very chaotic person and I'm evil so like might as well I don't know what do you think Ashlyn?
0: I hadn't thought of this before but now listening to you talk I think that it's not as black and white in the Prime Universe as it is in the Terran, because in the Terran, there, you're either the Emperor, or you're like on the promotional path to being like higher ranking, or you're a pawn, and you're just like trying to survive. Yeah. And in the Prime Universe, it's much more complicated, because those definitions are hidden, and <laughs> they are shielded by different titles and even though you are president of something, it doesn't mean that you are morally correct at all, it just means you won a popularity contest. I think Giorgio is figuring out, and I think she's actually laying low because she's thinking, okay, there's no empress, there's, that title doesn't exist over all these uh, different species. But there is this federation that is powerful. That's cool. This federation has this Section 31 that's even more powerful because there's no rules to it and it's allowed to operate in whatever way it wants to. And so I think actually she has still maneuvered herself to one of the most powerful positions. We see in season two when Leland is introduced as one of Pike's old buddies, and really he's way shadier than Pike thinks he is because of his position in section 31. Instantly, Giorgio sees him for what he is, which is someone who's like kind of doing his best. He seems like, I, I don't really know how to think about Leland because He's pretty bland to me. He's not someone who we like know about his like birth origin story or (laughs) we don't know how he came to section 31. We just know that he like was friends with Pike and he was in Starfleet and then he kind of worked his way up into section 31. Yeah. And, And we know because control singles him out as someone who doesn't care about the means in getting into the ends. And so that's why he's good for section 31. Yeah. But I feel like I'm not really connected to Leland and I don't really fear him or like him. I'm just kinda like neutral about him. And George o instantly is trying to take over Section 31 by putting him down in conversations and belittling him, talking down to him all the time, and he's always like, Watch your place, George o. But obviously she's the better person for the job than he is. And so she sees where she wants to be and she goes for it. So I, because I love her, even though she's so evil, I love her and I'm like, yes, Georgia, like go for your dream job. (laughs) Go for that glow up girl. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just think, like, their back and forth uh, in different episodes is fun to watch because it's not an even match. O is winning every argument that they have, and all he can say is, watch yourself, you know? Like, someday, you'll get what's coming.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, and Leland, too, doesn't have much uh, power over O because Giorgio knows that he was one of the causes of michael's parents death and so this is a chip that she gets to hold over him and i think that that is something that she loves she loves having a (laughs) bargaining tool you know whether it's a hostage whether it's a piece of information something belittling that she knows about them truly anything she can to get the upper hand i'm sure oh girl I'm sure right away when she got to this universe she used all of her hacking computer knowledge all of her access that Starfleet gave her to look into every single member of that she was working with so to see what kind of leverage she could build against them because this just seems like the meticulous type of person she is yes she may be chaotic evil but she's also very strategic and manipulative like you said Ashlyn and so we find out that like Leland worked with Michael's parents, I believe, on this time suit, and he was definitely one of the causes of the Klingons being there and attacking while the time suit was being constructed and all of that, and of Michael's father's death and her and presumably Michael's mother. So he knows that he'll they'll be held to pay if Michael finds out, and there is. She's really pissed at him, obviously. It creates this distance between Starfleet and Section 31 because she's a big part of Starfleet now and he is a big part of Section 31. So obviously there's still it doesn't really cripple the Section 31 or anything, but it does create dissonance between these groups and that's what Giorgio would like it's fine to build is dissonance because she knows that in the chaos she can sort of sneak in and take command or at least sneak in and start to control more things
0: (laughs) yes you're totally right and i love what you said about how she probably researched everybody because that definitely fits her character type it's similar to what i keep thinking jason isaacs it's similar to what Lorca did too about being extremely knowledgeable about everyone around you because knowledge is power Mm -hmm. and so she has the ability to blackmail anyone she wants because of all of this like juicy info that she has Uh, slight tangent there's a great Sherlock Holmes short story about a villain who only he has blackmail on like everyone in the city and then he basically like is the puppet master and makes them do whatever he wants to get money so he'll like blackmail the queen and he's like hey I'm gonna releases info unless you pay me like a million dollars or a million pounds or whatever. So I, I anyway, I'm sorry. This love that. It's just a little bit of uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle trivia in here. I <laughs> love it. Yeah. It's just, it's just more evidence that like, just knowledge is absolutely power. And yeah. so Giorgio is using that to the best of her ability. And then to get to your point, I, so I I kind of feel conflicted about Leland and his role in Michael's parents' death because i I don't really blame him. And I don't know. I feel like the emotions are really heightened around this whole situation because Michael has blamed herself for their deaths the entire time. Mm -hmm. She thought, because where they were stationed, she was like going to school and everything on the planet. She, or the moon, I I can't remember where they were living. Yeah, I don't know. Um, But she thought that because she wanted to stay a couple extra days to watch the supernova, that that circumstance led them to be attacked by klingons but that's wrong like that was like a little kid's brain putting the wrong cause and effect like Mm -hmm. situation in action what really happened was leland ordered them to be there and the supernova was going to help with their experiments or something like that the time suit so yeah exactly and so I think Michael, she gave him two punches, one for mom, one for dad, which is great cinematically. Like, Mm -hmm. I love seeing Leland punched. Yeah. But I also don't think he really deserves those punches because – that's like the equivalent of your boss relocating you you know now I'm like a military wife yeah like my husband could get transferred at any moment and if he dies I mean he's a trumpet player he's not gonna die like in combat <laughs> yeah but like if we get moved to like San Antonio Texas and he gets like hit by a car god forbid I'm not gonna blame the Air Force for his death mm-hmm. you know what I mean and yeah. I know that Michael's parents are I mean, are working for Section Thirty One, right? Because Leland is—was Leland in
1: Section Thirty One at this time, or questionable? I don't know that. I don't think that if he was, I don't think the parents knew that. I think they thought he was working for Starfleet. If that was the case,
0: yeah, but I, be my I guess th- I, th- yeah, I was like borderline. I'm not. I'm not sure about that. But um, either way, they are doing science. Well, the suit was developed by Section 31 though. This is what Leland says. So, I think Leland was in Section 31 and whether the parents knew it or not, that's sad. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, I just I feel I do feel kind of bad for Leland in this rap and I I'm sad that he blames himself and that shows me that he does have compassion and emotion and he's not just like this blank slate. The problem is that once he's taken over by control none of that matters because leland essentially dies once control takes him over and actually i thought it was really nice that he got to have that moment with michael and tell her the truth about what happened because he got to relieve some of his guilt and be honest about what happened and she's an adult now you know so it's fine to be honest about the situation and that was one of the last things he got to do before he was taken over by control so if there's anything for Leland I can say it's that at least he was honest before he died
1: yeah damn that's true (laughs) 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 yeah I think that um well and I do want to talk a little bit about just like them going into section 31 and uh Giorgio specifically because this makes sense that Giorgio is section 31 that's the perfect role for her we talked about this but i think also they want her there because she's very good at recruiting and uh leland says this to her he's like so do you do you think we can get Ash Tyler to be section 31 and she's like i already did like he's already mm-hmm. on board even if he hasn't said yes she knows that she's got him because again she has info on everyone she knows exactly the right buttons to push to get people to do what she wants. And also, she says, quote, the freaks are more fun. <laughs> so, she's always down to down to clown with Section 31. <laughs> I do want to talk a little bit because we discussed the history of Section 31 when we did our New Space Nine Villains podcast. And so, uh, unfortunately, Ashlyn, did you glean any information about when this started? We, again, we talked about it in Enterprise, so we know that it's been going on for a while. But, Uh, It seems like 31's involvement, especially during the war, has been hugely, hugely amplified. And um, that 31 is starting to enact different programs like Control, which is a threat assessment program that admirals and captains and everything put information into to see if they can assess a situation and stop a war before it happens. Because they don't want something like the Klingon War to happen again. These are kind of the insights we get, and we hear Pike say to Leland and to people at 31, like, quote, the chair outranks the badge kind of thing, or he says that to Ash. We get these ideas of power structure in from 31 to Starfleet and how they feel pretty fluid and pretty dynamic, like sometimes 31 is in charge, but sometimes... The captain is in charge and like like he says the chair outranks the badge so i think it maybe also depends on where you are if you're on a starfleet ship versus versus a 31 ship i don't know it just all seems very fluid and i'm curious what you think about this
0: i think that's because there's a lack of knowledge on both sides so like specifically the scene you're talking about is pike talking to ash Mm -hmm. and i think ash is new to section 31 and so he's willing to be dictated to by Mm -hmm. Pike, who is a captain, and Ash is not. And I think Ash listens to him because of rank that he's used to in Starfleet. I think he Mm -hmm. hasn't been in Section 31 long enough to actually be like, F you. section 31 is above everything yeah and i also think from pike's perspective it's the same thing it's lack of knowledge he doesn't know anything about section 31 and what was really surprising to me and maybe this is just because of like continuity issues amongst all of star trek mm-hmm. but Admiral Cornwell. So there's yeah, so there's an episode Project Daedalus where Cornwell is with them on discovery because she's trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Yeah. And they are they track Ash's transmissions to this part of space that's totally empty except mm-hmm. for an abandoned penal colony. And Cornwell says on the bridge, like, oh no, that's where Section 31 headquarters is and to me this is crazy because that is extremely privileged knowledge from what we know in ds9 not even cisco knew about section 31 and he's like leading the war effort Mm -hmm. and i know this is like a century later um ds9 is but yeah 150 years maybe Mm -hmm. i was just so surprised that cornwell was so forthcoming with that knowledge And I know it was like a really stressful situation, but section 31 is something that's so secretive. It seems really shocking to me that she would just announce that on the center of a bridge where there's like ensigns and randos hanging around. Yeah, I have the same questions as you. It's like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. Uh, So I'm trying to think about in all our discussions, I I might be like a little mixed up, but I feel like this is when section 31 is really out of control. Is mm-hmm. like really starting to get out of control, which no is- No pun intended. Is, I, yeah, yeah, you beat me to it. I was like, it's not, literally no pun. <laughs> because in fact, they are too in control because control is controlling them. Mm-hmm. But I feel like even before control was being developed within Section 31, this like advanced AI program, I think everything that they were doing in the war, which we don't even know about, it was probably too much. And it seems like they're really unhinged and off the leash. I mean, we discussed this in our TOS uh, Villains episode, Into Darkness. We just discussed Khan, though. We just discussed and Khan. Marcus. That's, and Marcus. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about Section 31, and um, because Marcus is part of 31. But I feel like in that movie especially, and I know that's yet another universe, mm-hmm. that section 31 was extremely out of control and so i'm not super surprised because that universe is similar to ours that or to ours as if i live in <laughs> i i mean i wish, I we, wish. Would. we were living yeah. in prime Ugh. universe oh my god anyway Ugh. i can't think about it oh okay <laughs> <laughs> So, I can imagine that Section 31 is like really out of control. And so, I think that it's kind of a good wake up call for them to go through this absolute chaos that this advanced AI program causes. By completely taking over not only one ship, not only Section 31 headquarters, but actually begins taking over bodies. And some things that are like hugely scary that section or that control starts doing is like projecting holograms of key figures that within the Federation, because control views Starfleet as a chain of command. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Where it's just one admiral, it's like the head of Starfleet talking to an admiral, talking to a captain, talking to a lieutenant. And that's all it is, is a bunch of phone calls Mm -hmm. (laughs) from ship to ship. And so Control absolutely utilizes that in order to take control. And they believe it's going to work. And it, it does work until they find all the bodies of everyone that Control has been impersonating. So I yeah i just think it's very scary and i think it's hopefully you know a a turning point for section 31 i mean we're a little out of order here because we're talking about our section 31 all the series are out of order you know Mm -hmm. but um i feel like they're a lot more locked down after this and a lot more secretive after this
1: yeah you're so right i really appreciate your insight and Yeah, I think the war really threw them. Obviously it threw everyone off and uh, a lot of desperate measures were had to be taken. And this is why control as a system was even developed. And, you know, I really thought about the movie Captain America and the Witcher Soldier when I was learning about control, because there's a whole part of the movie that talks about Project Insight, which is a threat assessment program that tries to stop villains before they do something bad. And, of course, Steve Rogers, Captain America, is very against this idea. He says this isn't freedom, this is fear. He says that this is, uh, like, trying to stop a war before it started is futile, and it will end up getting more people hurt because you're making these dangerous assumptions about people. And I think that this is something that I was worried about first watching the season and hearing about control for the first time and how admirals would put in information about certain systems or certain people or cultures and i think it could uh, eat, like of course control is a dangerous thing once it becomes a more advanced ai and wants to take over and kill everyone obviously bad thing but i think even the idea of control before this is a well-intended bad idea you know and i think that it's It was in response to a horrific war. It was trying to make sure that nothing like that ever happens again. But the way they went about it of having, you know, these different people put an input about certain cultures and races, I think could just get really out of control (laughs) really quickly and, um, and create a tighter system that surveils and watches people and, you know, it's a threat assessment, but when does that turn into, like, making dangerous assumptions about people? Like, if you're constantly watching the Romulans, assuming they're always going to be evil and suspicious and everything, then you're falling into the trap that, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm not, not saying saying it, it well. It's like the Red Scare
0: or the Salem Witch Trials. I know that's not exactly what you're saying, mm-hmm. but it's like, if you're always looking for evidence of wrongdoing you're always gonna find it because yeah. you can manipulate your own perspective into being like, Oh, that person went to the bathroom at midnight. It's because they're sneakily like sending plans to Russia <laughs> Absolutely. But, but no, they're
1: just peeing, you know <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And this is where when control starts to become an advanced AI, we find out that they use a hologram to manipulate evidence in a controlled, ugh, I have to start using another word than control, in a stable, like, uh, closed circuit feed of Spock in a, like, psychiatric facility so control was able to tap into that fake a program or fake a hologram where spock murdered three or two different or like couple people in the psychiatric facility in order to escape which absolutely did not happen spock uh just incapacitated them via the vulcan grip no one was killed but they were able to doctor evidence and so i think that this is obviously the first sign that control is taking over and once they figure this out that the images were doctored and all of this it's just interesting that like they thought of control as this threat assessment program and then of course it ends up being the threat that assesses everyone else you know and takes over and ashlyn what you said about like the control starting to take over bodies and stuff it reminds me a lot of the borg you know that that they're starting to assimilate people and through like nanotechnology it has a very similar idea of using technology in order to control people's bodies into doing this these malicious deeds and in order to just start killing everyone you know the ultimate goal here for control is to wipe out all sentient civilizations in order to have a fully technological ai universe
0: yes and this is the oldest story in the 21st century book ever since we as a civilization have started to advance ourselves and technology's gotten better and better, everyone's afraid of technology getting too advanced. Yeah. I mean, every 80s movie is about this. 90s movies. Like, th- yes. this is, this is the thing. Every pulp sci-fi book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so I love Star Trek's take on it because it is in a century where that seems probable mm-hmm. i mean even now we have ai that's like getting scary but it's not scary because it's sentient wait thank god can we just say that like thank god we don't have to add that to a list of problems completely sentient ai <laughs> oh, right now god but I mean, at this point we're more worried about the people who have this powerful technology. Like there's been so many hacks within the last week, yeah. like in the government and any anyway. Mm-hmm. So, what's interesting about Star Trek's take on it is that this is actually in a century where it could really do some serious damage. And I've talked about this before, but I just feel like this is so much like we're going what we're going to talk about in Picard. It's just really weird to me that we have two Star Trek series coming out like just a couple of years apart and both of them are talking about advanced AI that's going to kill all of humanity and I can't believe they're not related. So I'm like, okay, uh, Discovery and Picard, where's your overlap? Anyway, I'm I'm gonna just try to like get over this. No,
1: no, I get it. And like, the thing that's wild too is they come from completely different eras of Trek, you know? And so we're getting these, har- like, we're harkening back to similar things that happened. I mean, even to an extent, the motion picture had a (laughs) um and voyage home (laughs) yeah so so this is very trek but you're right they do it in such unique ways that it feels different every time and uh even when data takes over in random or lore (laughs) takes over in random tng episodes it doesn't feel like we're i'm watching discovery or picard or what have you no. Um, okay,
0: wait. So just to go back a second. Yeah, when you talked about the Borg, Rihanna, I totally agree. I got serious Borg vibes mm-hmm. um, when Leland is taken over, especially because like, Leland is poked in the eye, and that's how the nanoprobes are, tra- are like put into his body. Yeah. Oh, it makes me think about like the horrible, every time I watch Best of Both Worlds, the needle in the eye. It's, just, it's too much for me. Yeah. Um, I hate the eye, and Rihanna hates that too. Yeah, yeah. it's awful. It's terrible. And so yeah that is vibes and then also i mean bad vibes of course (laughs) and then also in the through the valley of shadows episode in season two michael and spock go on board a section 31 ship that has everyone dead except this one guy that michael used to know and it turns out he is control and as soon as the as soon as control leaves his body it looks like a wave uh, it looks like a bunch of nanoprobes like tiny ones that are like forming into tentacles to try to grab her and this is so similar to the probe that freaking five episodes ago, Pike sent a probe into an anomaly and it came back super advanced because it went to the future and then- 200
1: years, right? Yeah. No,
0: 500 years. And the AI in that time advanced the probe and turned it back, sent it back through time to gather information about Pike and Ash in the shuttlecraft. And I just thought it was interesting that they were both tentacles. Like they both had octopuses, like this probe. And then also when Control is trying to take over
1: Michael- isn't that how Control was birthed? Was because of this probe from the future, advanced the technology and it got back to 31 via ash or how did that happen? How did Control become evil? <laughs> well, I
0: I think just like Control wanted to take over. And so mm-hmm. um but what I was going to say in in the Valley of Shadows episode, mm-hmm. this poor guy who's taken over by Control, he says that he's speaking as control. He says control wants to become the purest form of consciousness. And so I think as it's getting more and more powerful, that's its ultimate goal and it sees Michael as being the only thing in the way of that because Michael is this out-of-control element, haha. Again, take a drink every time we say control, and I'm sorry you won't make it through this episode. (laughs) I don't think we get a clear answer about how control is formed, except that clearly Section 31's technology is far more advanced than we think it is, because we know that they built the Red Angel suit, before, like when Michael was a kid so this is old technology to section 31 so they're already extremely advanced and then once they get the sphere data in one of the realities that Michael's mom is trying to prevent that's when they become the most powerful because this ancient sphere technology is what's going to give them the upper edge into dominating and destroying all of life
1: yeah not good <laughs> not good yeah, I do think that part of the reason Control exists and like became a evil AI was the probe that Pike sent uh, into this spatial temporal anomaly that came back five hundred years advanced. Because we know that Control is using advanced technology because nanoprobes. I don't think that Section Thirty One was developing nanoprobes. I think that they developed through the AI, but we know that their goal and their intention is to get. Hold of the sphere data, and this is, of course, what brings the whole plot to a head. in the end of season two uh, is the fact that discovery and the sphere data are now intrinsically linked and cannot be separated because the sphere data pretty much integrated itself into the entire system and the entirety of discovery. Um, and so, you know, the only solution is to send it into the future with the Red Angel and all of this stuff, but. Um, Just the thought of control getting its nano hands (laughs) on the sphere data is of course world ending and not just world ending, but universe ending. And it's all of the times that Michael's mom saw this happen that Gabrielle saw this sphere data be corrupted by control. And so I think it's just kind of interesting how these technologies, the sphere data is what, 2000 years old or something? No, like, it, or, no, like 10,000 or
0: 100,000 years old. Way yeah, ancient. Okay,
1: yeah. So it's yeah. So the spirit data is this like ancient ancient technology and control is like this futuristic technology. And so I don't know, I just think that that provides such an interesting dichotomy that control needs this past technological knowledge in order to achieve its like furthest advancement. I don't know, it's interesting. The, the missing
0: link, you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the best part about the well, there's so many amazing parts about the season finale in season two. But one of my favorite parts is when Giorgio just murders Leland. Yes,
1: <laughs> literally. I was thinking, I was like, my sexuality is when Non and Giorgio are fighting Leland, and uh, when they talk about like how they're gonna beat him up and non just goes yum <laughs> Yes, <laughs> <laughs> like it's absolutely perfect and I love seeing these women just beat the you know what <laughs> out of Leland and turns out the spores save the day again the spores are just so helpful <laughs> in breaking <Yes>. down control <laughs> I'm like dang that would have been helpful to realize sooner but I think that the mycelium is just really good at breaking down energy obviously and they were able to break down the nanotechnology inside of Leland and neutralize that part of control but of course it control can spread and everything and so that's why they had to still go to the future but I do wonder like then were they able to eliminate all the section 31 ships there it seems like Pike and the rest of the helpers were able to get the job done (laughs) but does that mean that control just is completely wiped out or did it just sort of remain in the background without having the sphere data? I don't know it seems like it was eliminated right then and there obviously or else we'd have another plot about it but it just seemed a little bit ambiguous about the control that stayed in the past that like since we saw the sphere data go I don't know. I don't have an answer for
0: you. I can only assume that Starfleet and Section 31 deeply learned their lesson Mm -hmm. because we see I mean, obviously, Discovery goes to the future. Everyone who has knowledge of Discovery has to keep completely silent about it and can never talk about it. And we see the officials who are interviewing them. Obviously, they're going to know about it. But I think this was a, a really serious lesson for everybody to learn. And so if the ships weren't destroyed, I'm sure the technology aboard them was and just replaced with, okay, let's kinda ring this in here and get this all under control. Ha ha
1: ha ha. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's, it's impossible to not <laughs> Yeah. Say it that way. <laughs> well and this is just another reminder for me this season finale, and I will be saying this again here in about forty minutes or something, that um, control and Leland and everything that was going on with the AI thought that they were so Powerful and thought that like we can eliminate anything that's in our way and that's why they did a threat assessment of Michael and knew that she was a very valuable factor that they needed to eliminate and so that's why uh, when the nanotechnology took control of uh, Lieutenant Gant's body and they tried to get Michael she realizes oh man I am the like the focal point of what could cause them to lose and turns out it is like Michael is this for is in the forefront of their victory but I think it's just interesting because we see so many of these Star Trek villains underestimating our crew whatever crew it may be insert here (laughs) crew name and in this circumstance they underestimate Discovery and Enterprise and the bonds that the people form together and the connections they make in order to work together to defeat them because no one would imagine I certainly wouldn't have imagined in the beginning of watching Discovery that a Terran Emperor would work together with a uh, security officer from the Enterprise in order to destroy someone from Section 31. Like, what a weird sentence, you know? And so, or destroy an evil AI. And so I think that often these villains underestimate how making those connections can help you triumph and like we see them make connections through all the red angel uh signals because suru's sister comes back uh poe from like tilly's friend poe who's a queen comes to help them uh even the klingons come to assist for the fight for the future and so i just constantly reminded that like these is this is a lot of the villains undoing is the fact that they have incredible teamwork incredible minds working together putting aside differences in order to to defeat a bigger villain. It's just such a cool story and I love that even though Star Trek tells it over and over again it still feels so important and it's something that like helps to remind me that oh yeah working together is actually like pretty awesome and can like solve a lot of problems. (laughs) Well said, Rihanna. I totally agree. Yeah. I love Star Trek. <laughs> so good.
0: <laughs> um, okay, well, I think it's time. I yeah. think let's jump to season three. Maybe not in Discovery, maybe not in a red angel suit, but let's jump to season three. Uh, there's a lot of villains when we arrive in season three because we are 950 years in the future, and everyone's a villain because we don't know what the heck is going on Yeah. Uh, with this time. But the biggest baddie we wanted to talk about for this season is the Emerald Chain and Osira and the Orion-slash-Andorian Syndicate that is all-powerful, even more powerful than the Federation at this point.
1: Yeah, more powerful than the Federation because of the burn that destroyed all the dilithium-powered ships and every crew member that was on those dilithium-powered ships, which turned the Federation into a dying... Uh, organization essentially because they're not able to use warp anymore to go and check on their colonies to go and check on their different connections with people and so the orion syndicate slash andorian syndicate all of this stuff the andorians must have pulled out of starfleet i don't know if the orions ever joined starfleet or what happened there but it's probably not because they're still just running their underground rings like we've talked about in deep space nine and enterprise Mm -hmm. yeah exactly so I just want to point out that this was the perfect opportunity for people like Osira, who are leading the Orion Syndicate or the Emerald Chain, to take over was when the burn happened because they used Starfleet's vulnerability against them, saying, oh, you can't go out to this, to Starbase 400 whatever uh, or Deep Space 305 <laughs> to mm. check on them, so we traded with them instead, and then th- now they are essentially slaves to the chain and of course they call it the chain it makes it even more horrible to think of it as like people chained together unable to escape this horrible system because like we talked about with O'Brien in the Deep Space Nine episode once you're a part of the syndicate you can't get out of it it's very unlikely that you'd be able to escape because they use threats on your family's lives or your life or your friend's lives anything they can do to use leverage against you yeah I just want to say that like this, of course, is a brilliant and horrible thing that they do is by completely, like, domineering the galaxy, essentially, to be under the chain's thumb. Because since the Federation has no more sway or no more ability to have sway in the galaxy, we see the whole political cultural shift in this future and it's just frightening it's frightening to see even incredible people like book having to work with the chain because how else is he supposed to make a living or how else is he supposed to get anything done when the only trading and stuff you could do is through the chain so they pretty much like monopolized this like capitalist environment that they created through slavery well
0: i mean <laughs> essentially the government fell Mm -hmm. And what happens when the government falls is someone has to take over the void that it's left and a lot of the times it's going to be a private organization Mm -hmm. and the most powerful one at the time was the Orion Syndicate and the chain and... I think if you listen, if you're, like, unfamiliar with The Syndicate or, you know, you're new to Discovery, I think you should just listen to the Fleetwood Mac song, The Chain, and you'll really understand um, everything you need to know. As yep. we all know, Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks um, all huge Star Trek nerds.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, the writers of Star Trek got their idea from that song to call it The Emerald Chain. No, just kidding. But yeah, yeah, no, I wish. That's, that's all a joke. <laughs> but... Yeah, what's most sad to me
0: about this whole situation, the earliest moments of the Orion Syndicate that we've seen was an Enterprise, which we talked about last podcast episode. And we saw T'Pol got taken and sold, almost sold into slavery by the Orion Syndicate. And then, a thousand years later, we see that they are operating in the exact same way. There's been really no innovation, except that it's just different rulers. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, what has worked for thousands of years is slavery. And, you know, what's going to continue to work for another thousand is slavery. Because people will never miss the opportunity to exploit one another if there's no consequences for it. Yeah. And um, as Sako says in Bo Burnham's special Inside, the world was built on blood and genocide. And exploitation. (laughs) Exactly. And so it's really sad because... We talked about how the Orion Syndicate is older than the Federation, and now it's lasting way longer than the Federation. It's lasted 400 years longer than the Federation. Uh, Yeah, we're we're first introduced to them when the Discovery makes contact with Starfleet Command, what's left of the headquarters, Mm -hmm. um, which is in this uh, non-disclosed region of space because it's so broken down and small. They talk about how one of their greatest enemies is the chain because like exactly what you described earlier rihanna all of the shipments is not happening through the postal system it's through amazon now (laughs) Um, oh god yeah (laughs) so so starfleet has lost their influence in all of these sectors because of the lack of dilithium and i think it's really interesting like so many great villains we do not see Osira, the leader of the chain we don't see her until like the third episode I think that they talk about the Emerald Chain which I think is good because it kind of builds the mystery around mm-hmm. her a and little the fear, bit. Yeah. yeah and I actually don't think we've really seen any absolute leader of the Orion Syndicate before Mm-mm. and so this is kind of a rare insight. Normally we're only seeing small branches of local command structures in the Orion Syndicate and things like that, but we've never actually met the leader mm-hmm. before.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and um, we learn here in Scavengers that the book is taken. He is at a slave outpost, essentially, where they're. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing there, actually. But there's a bunch of people being held at this colony, and turns out there's this Andorian named Rin who had tried to rally against Osira and because of this, she hacked off his antennae and made him the person to brand other slaves, essentially, or to, like, put the chip in the back of their neck that if they cross the boundary, they get, like, decapitated. It's horrible. And so she made him the symbol of hatred for everyone else. And so this shows how cunning she is in her ability to turn people against each other in order for her to maintain her symbols of fear and of dominance and and of power. Like, she's literally stamping out any sort of hope of revolution or hope of rallying against the chain and people have said in all of this season like there's no going against the chain and there's just this sort of absolute rule and so I think that like her the fact that she's making examples of people in that way is just so awful and we see that Ren is completely broken down by this and that he does not have the confidence to try and rise up again and that it took all of his confidence to even do that and This is what happened to him. And I think that partially it's because the Federation has been gone or nearly gone for so many centuries that the hope itself has been broken down. And that is what the chain thrives on is that we have people who don't even believe that there can be anything else. And so this is all that, that their life is now. And so it makes it easier to enslave people when they have no hope, essentially. And so that just makes it even worse, you know, that they're on top of all the slavery and the horribleness. <laughs> There's also, like, no hope for an ending until, of course, Michael Burnham is the hope.
0: <laughs> the hope is you, part two. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, and I also, I can't remember if you said this or not, but Part of Ren's background is that he was born into the chain, Mm. and so that's all he's ever known. His whole life is just being a slave for them. Mm. So of course he wants to rebel. (laughs) That that's natural. We we rebel even if we're not born into slavery. Absolutely, that's just a natural part of growing up. Mm -hmm. And like, what a nightmare! What a horrible life he's lived, and what a horrible life everyone has lived in the chain. It's just awful. Um, another horrible thing we see is when. <laughs> <Go on>. uh, <laughs> is in the episode Sanctuary, because we find out that Book's brother is also working with Osira directly because she is threatening to put his planet and Book's planet into a famine by not sending them shipments of food and by destroying their crops and by like causing a drought on their planet. And. I mean like okay yeah sure don't work for the, for the chain but if it's you working for the chain versus your planet surviving and your species thriving even for me and i'm like moral lady i think i might even work for the chain under those circumstances because i can't even imagine the idea of me being responsible for the death of my planet and the death of my family
1: yeah i'm just gonna add to so the reason that Kweijan, Book's homeworld, got into the chain in the first place is because there was an infestation of locusts that moved too far into the forest and started eating the crops. And so then the chain came and helpfully offered food and supplies. They said, hey, like, we'll give you the stuff you need to survive. We know these locusts suck. We'll help you stave off the famine. If you come to work for us. So it's always these ultimatums. It's these ways to entrap people into the syndicate. Like like we see with O'Brien's little friend. I almost said Boothby. That's not his name. Yeah, I <laughs> um, can't remember his name. Bilby. Yes. Or Bilby. 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 Yeah, yeah, Yeah. So like we see with so many other people who... We're basically given no other choice. Esri's brother, like we've talked about this before, is that that's the way that the chain and the syndicate has always operated, is they prey on desperation and they prey on helplessness and this is why Book's brother Kahim is doing this because like you said, Ashlyn, would you rather starve or work for the chain, you know, and he has a family to think about, a son, all of this and so she just uses Kweijan as a bargaining chip as much as she uses any other world that that is in desperate need of help because the Federation's no longer there to provide these services for free. And so she does it for a price because she knows, hey, this is how I'm going to get more slaves. This is how I'm going to get more revenue. And I just have to do some threatening. Yep. And
0: what's so sad about this is I'm still mourning the loss of the Federation because if the freaking universe hadn't had their lithium supply destroyed, Equajon, the planet, if it had been in, as a part of Federation territory, this would have been a weekly episode of the original series <laughs> where Kirk and Spock and McCoy are going to Quajon and they're helping like phaser some locusts, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, that like, I'm pretty sure we've basically seen that episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Before, Like, this is a normal routine duty for Starfleet to do. Yeah, it's like you said, now it's no longer free service. Now it comes with a big old contract of slavery attached. Absolutely. Um, Anytime there's help offered in this future. And so no wonder it's so dark and desolate and
1: hopeless out here. About the sanctuary, we know that Book has a very jaded view of Starfleet. And my girlfriend was like, why? Why does he eat Starfleet so much? And I'm trying to explain it all. And then literally the next scene, he talks about how the chain spread lies about the federation they were basically just pumping out the propaganda machine saying the federation cannot help you they are dead they will and it's kind of true i mean this is the thing that's sad is that enough propaganda is buried in a kernel of truth you know that it's able to become passable and become the truth but they say all these horrible things about the federation so that even if people want to turn to the federation or even if the people think about turning to the federation they hear these lies about them and think okay never mind like they're deceitful and they will not help me and so it eliminates other options as well
0: yeah and maybe this is too political but i kind of feel like the federation in this future is like the democrats in america they say they're gonna make change and they say they have all these like progressive ideas and then like nothing happens and Mm -hmm. they don't have power and they're a bunch of lame ducks sitting around that's just kind of how i feel yeah Um, (laughs) but anyway um (laughs) yeah it's not great Anyway, so what's really interesting then, and throws a whole wrench into the situation, is that Osira comes to the Federation and says, let's make peace. I wrote up this whole peace treaty, And these are my terms and they even have a mediator with a human lie detector who's like a robot that he just straight up says like she is lying. (laughs) (laughs) Admiral Vance meets with Osira and this neutral dude and they have this whole discussion about what would happen if the chain, the Emerald chain, came to peace with the Federation and how would that look. And on my first watch through... Of season three, which was only like a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, or was it the beginning of this year? Jesus, I don't know. Where? Oh my what, God. what time? Is it, it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I thought that this was really promising and exciting because I'm a hopeful person. I thought, actually, maybe she is so worn down by the politics involved and how hard it is to transport ships in and out of the quadrant and things like that maybe she was sick of this life and wanted the federation but obviously like this is too good to be true and so my perspective was totally different this time because i know what happens and i think that this was a ploy to waste time from the beginning this was all a distraction so that she could just like take over the Federation instead or it was just a buffer into her like achieving her means. But what do you think, Rihanna? Do you think like she actually did want this a little bit?
1: Well, so the thing is, is she spent time to develop this armistice. She really put a lot of effort into her compromises. She said she would do a 15 year walk back of planets like Quajon that she'd had a colonial rule over. But I think what's going on here is that she is hungry for power. So first of all, she wants to be absolved from her crimes while enveloping the Federation into the chain. Because she says, the Federation are kind of annoying. They keep getting on my back about these things. I would like to have us all be one big glob so essentially (laughs) I can take over the Federation once and for all. And this is the thing. Like, the Federation is weak enough right now that if she and Vance did come to an agreement then Federation would pretty much be her puppets, I think, because she says she'll do these walkbacks, she says she'll make these compromises, but I think the more time would go on, the more that she would be able to manipulate people saying, hey, we're the Federation, we're the good guys, and continue to enslave cultures and um, home worlds and everything. And so I think that you're absolutely right. I don't think that this comes from a place of desiring actual peace. It's a place of wanting to continue the capitalist machine into the federation she literally says in the beginning she says capitalism is already in the federation and so we might as well employ it here and make it official and so i think it honestly would just be easier for her if she could have rule over the federation because she knows as a symbol of hope so that would be her last ditch effort to stamp out that hope entirely by saying we now have control of the federation
0: that is a really really good answer rihanna and actually now that you're kind of spelling it out for me i think that this is no different from what she said to quajon yeah like oh you're in danger of being wiped out let me help you this is the exact same thing she's saying to the federation
1: that's the thing is it's very telling because admiral vance says well none of this is going to work if you aren't sent to prison at least for a little bit or you Mm -hmm. aren't put on trial he says I could get you a good lawyer or essentially he's like we could make sort of some sort of like agreement where you get out maybe not a life sentence but you get something a little shorter or whatever and that's the moment she leaves and shuts it all down and says oh, well, I can't work with you. This is not going to work. We know then that she's out for her own gain, that like she's not looking to own up to her crimes of literal slavery. She's looking to be absolved and also use the chain inside the Federation. So well, She still
0: yeah. wants people to have her picture on their mantelpiece. Like, exactly.
1: <laughs> that's why she's not
0: willing to give up the yes. leadership.
1: And this is something that's very telling about Osira is that she is very powerful, and she wants to show everyone how powerful she is. I mean, if you look at the ship herself, or if you look at even the ship that she like uses all the time, and is armed to the teeth, and it's massive, it's just very daunting to look at she wants to command a type of fear and power that she knows is like absolute over everyone and it works so long as people are scared but once you have a crew like discovery who fights through fear and uses it as fuel for them to rise up against her then she's easily toppled you know and like i think that the Federation just needed that spark of hope again through discovery and through Michael. And it's just telling because she is very flashy. She's very dramatic and showy. And the thing that she's sort of blaming Admiral Vance for the fact that he couldn't make the peace talks work when all he was asking was for her to step out of the limelight. And he said, we have to have a more neutral leader for these talks. Like if we're going to have someone as sort of an advocate for the chain and the Federation, it can't be you and it can't be me. Like, that's a pretty reasonable thing to say. I would understand that even, you know, I mean, obviously I'm not Osiris, but this is the thing is she just can't have that. She has to be the one who is ultimately in control at all times.
0: Yeah, and I think at this point she's still underestimating Starfleet. She thinks that they've completely lost their morals and they're going to overlook something as heavy as slavery Yeah. in order to join up with Osiris. She thinks that they are much more desperate than they actually are and that's her weakness in the plan and it it also just leads me to think that she doesn't she's not really super serious about Mm -hmm. this armistice part of me still thinks that she was just doing this as kind of misdirection for her to really take over discovery at the same time they're having this talk her people are on discovery trying to figure out how the spore drive works and so i think she thought well either way, I'm good to go. It's like when you're playing tic-tac-toe and you realize that you can win in two different ways. (laughs) I think that's where she was. She was like, well, either um, the Federation is desperate enough to hook up with me and then I'm in, in charge of the Federation or I take over Discovery and I have the most powerful ship in the universe yeah. right now. But actually, she was wrong and she wasn't playing tic tac toe. She's playing checkers, and that's how <laughs> she lost. Her death is very satisfying. I didn't know her for long, but Michael got thrown into like this thing, and then yeah. she shoots Osira, and then Osira <laughs> dies. <laughs> yeah, it's a yeah. bizarre but good. Yeah, but it's good. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's just nice to see this full arc happen for Michael and her become captain. And yeah, it's just nice. And I'm so excited to watch the next season without, the, I mean, obviously the chain is not dead. Like just because Osiris died does not mean that the chain is destroyed. Like sure. there's no way. It's like over it a thousand more, years
1: old. Yeah. It takes more than one person to break a chain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like when you kill one head, three more
0: appear. It's oh very, no, Hydra. It's
1: very Hydra-esque. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I do want to say that really I felt like a running theme through all these villains were just the fact that they were able to use desperate people as pawns. Like we see that this poor guy that like had a genetic disease that she saved as a child now worships the ground she walks on and is not privy to the fact that she is... A violent slave owner who she did not murders. He didn't even know about the labor camps at all. Yeah. So yeah. so anyway, it, it shows that her subjects are often in the dark, and that this is the same with Lorca. This is the same with Empress Giorgio and even in a way with Control or Section Thirty One that they utilize people... she saved his life and so then that became you are forever indebted to me and she literally says to him I saved you because you're useful to me and so once that usefulness runs out they're as good as dead to her or dead you know she'll kill them either way and this is true for many of the villains we've discussed today and I don't know I just think that it's one of the scummiest things that a villain can do is to utilize people's desperation and their fear in order to gain the upper hand yeah, wow, what a good insight, Rihanna. Yeah, man, is Discovery okay? Yeah. Are, guys, are the writers feeling okay? Like, are,
0: are you guys okay? Are you taking your St. John's Wort every day? <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, man. Well, Ashlyn, I cannot believe that we have only two more villain episodes to go, and those are Picard and Lower Decks. Um, are we going to talk about the animated series villains, too? Because I think we should...
0: Obviously, animated series, there's no arc going mm-hmm. on, but I feel like we should choose like the five best random villains and talk I love about it. them too. So I'm, so I'm, down. I'm just going to say that there's three more episodes left. So I definitely think we should include animated series for this. Also, I think the time is ripe for an announcement, and that is our next series. I know everyone is so excited whenever a new series is announced. I know Rianne and I, one of our favorite parts of this podcast is trying to think of what series we want to cover next because it honestly like really shapes our lives Mm -hmm. depending on how in-depth the series is like with villains and family, love and affection. Like we've had some really in-depth series as well as just some really fun series and so we are changing course just a little bit here and the next series in our podcast will be movies
1: Woo! I already yes. knew this but I'm still screaming yes. <laughs> I'm so excited um yeah. this is Ashlyn's brilliant choice this is why she's announcing it since we switch off
0: every time yeah, every every time we switch off and it's my turn Rihanna chose villains and I chose movies so I mean we're obviously going to talk about that when the series starts we're going to have a guest maybe two Ooh. uh coming up and we're just going to talk about the movies and instead of talking about themes, because we've already talked about some movies through different lenses. I'm very, very excited for it. And I think it'll be a nice change of pace and it'll kind of slow down how much prior research we have to do. Before oh my each God, episode. we don't have to watch 20 episodes per week. I love yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> just like one movie a week. So wow. that's, that's going to be a lot more manageable for us. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well... I also just want to say, uh, I'm finally in my house, and so this is going to be where I record all the future episodes. I'm very excited to be home, Um, and finally moved in, but I am going to Portugal for two weeks, and so we will definitely be off for the next couple weeks. Uh, I think we're going to release maybe a Patreon episode Mm -hmm. or a special episode in the meantime, so you still have something to listen to. Mm -hmm. Tied you over we will not be returning with the villains at Picard until at least, I mean, I don't even get home until like September 15th. So I, I'm trying to be vague about dates. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but we also, there's so many announcements. We also want to celebrate our one year anniversary of the podcast, which is coming up as well in September. So, As I always say, there's so much to look forward to with the Dura Sisters podcast. We want to thank you for joining us on our journey, and we are just so happy to have you as listeners, and I am so fulfilled and so lucky every week to talk to my best friend about my favorite thing, so
1: thank you for joining me. Oh, it's so (laughs) great. (laughs) Thank you, Ashlyn. I had such a wonderful discussion today. I feel like I learned so much about these villains, and I am absolutely thrilled to talk about Picard. And I just hope that you all are hanging in there. Please take care of yourselves. Please remember to take some time out of your day to do something really fun. Even if you have to schedule it in, just do it. You know, we need to have fun stuff going on in our lives right now. And this is my fun stuff. So thank you, Ashlyn. Yep. This is my fun stuff too. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next time for the seventh episode of our villain series where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss all the villainous characters in Picard. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura podcast at gmail.com. So far we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, Love and Affection, and Time Travel. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing is by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith, and our outro, Wars Revenge, is by Arillo Voltaire. Hey, 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 I'm ready to choose these villains. Whoa! For Star Trek Discovery, Hit me up. I'm definitely thinking Lorca. Um, uh, you know, I'm definitely thinking Giorgio. She's <laughs> gonna be an
1: interesting one. So anyway, okay, call me. Let's make this list. Love you. Bye.